Are you one of the only on your job? Do you wonder why the same type of people continue getting promotions? Have you dreamed of getting to the top but don't know how? Welcome to Secrets, a podcast devoted to showcasing dilemmas faced by underrepresented employees in their quest to climb the career ladder. Your hosts, Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson, have experienced the corporate grind for more than 20 years. Now they want to share adventures, pitfalls, and C-suite secrets that they've learned along the way. So let's fill up those cups and get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Secrets. Ricky, you got a little stank on your face over there today. What's going on, my friend? Yeah, I'm going to have to fix my face a little bit, man. You know, so I've just been thinking through 2020, man. And it's, uh, again, we keep hearing people say cliches about how tough it's been and, you know, all of these things. But, I mean, we've been living it. And it's, uh, you know, has been a bit of a a burden, <laughs> you know, to some degree, right? And I'm thinking through questions that I'm still getting from some of my uh, white colleagues and counterparts, and they're asking, how can I help? Yeah, you know, they want to yeah. know, like, what can they do to be, you know, allies and, and whatnot, which, which, is, which is a great, cool. you know, question, cool. right? I mean, but I started thinking to myself, like, I think it's convenient. You know, to kind of ask the question based off of what you've finally been able to see or someone has, has made you uh, pay attention to. Right. Seeing those videos. And right. Stuff like right. That. But, yep. you know, I didn't just need your help or your allyship or whatever it is like right, right now. now. I've, I've been needing it. For 50 it. years. Yep. I've been needing it. Yeah. And I agree with you. This is all a little tiring. You know, for me, Ricky, it's kind of like Lucy and the football with Charlie Brown. Right. <laughs> right. It's like. Charlie keeps promising to help Lucy out, but when it comes time to execute, he pulls that ball away and Lucy falls flat on her face <laughs> every right, time, right. right? And that's kind of what it feels like when that those types of questions come up, especially when it's someone that you really don't have a relationship with, right? It's different when you you kind of know the person and they ask them the mm-hmm. question where somebody just pops up out of the blue and just start asking, what can I do to help? Right. That third eye comes kind of yeah. comes on and you're saying to yourself, help. Yep. Like, is this, do you come in peace That's or right. or, or not right. here? That's right? right. Come on, Charlie. Yeah, exactly. So in response to to these types of questions that we get asked all the time, whether it be people reaching out to us via Secrets page, you know, via our LinkedIn stuff or whatever it is, people keep asking, what can I do? So in response, it wasn't a bit of irony here, but in response to this, I posted a link about our sister in the fight for justice and equity, uh, Amber Cabral, yeah, you, you know, did. sharing her uh, newly released book, Allies and Advocates. Yeah, it's a great right? book. Good book. is a lot of gems, you know, in it. But again, that's just one piece of education. Yeah. You know. Small step. <laughs> versus you actually putting things into into play. So what I thought it would be good for us to do is to spend some time today talking to our listeners about allyship in itself. Yes. Our experience kind of needing it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and whatnot, mm-hmm. but also maybe being a little bit more proactive with it. So today is probably going to be a bit of a longer, yeah. you know, uh, session because this is something that we're passionate right. about, That's you know, right. some, something that we're passionate about. For sure. So in today's episode, we'll define white privilege, white supremacy, and white allyship. They all tend to be triggers for some people sometimes. So we want to want to define those and talk about it for a second. We'll also share some of our stories in dealing with race and racism. Mm-hmm. And we'll provide some receipts on the inequities and divides on opinions regarding race and racism in America. And we'll close out with a double dose of secrets today on how our white colleagues can be better allies and how companies can create an anti-racist environment. Man, that sounds like a lot. You it know is. I mean? It sounds a like a lot. But, but, you know, but before we actually get started, I think it's good that we start maybe setting some context or setting the stage yeah. as we start kind of speaking through, like, the definitions for uh, the things that you spoke about, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, number one, 
like white privilege. Look, or I this understand. Is a trigger. It sure is. It sure is because I get it. Because no one wants to feel like they have an unfair advantage. They want to don't want to feel like they didn't work hard to get what they got. Like right. I, I totally get it. Totally get. It. At the end of the day, right? Totally get it. But white privilege, when you start thinking through it, it's the societal privilege that benefits white people over non-white people, regardless of social, political, or economic circumstances, mm-hmm. okay? White privilege has a has both obvious and not so obvious advantages that white people may not even realize that they have, Yeah, which makes it, you know, pretty different that bias or prejudice. Sure, sure. That's <laughs> you right. You know what I mean? Yep. You know, and like, and, and Peggy uh, McIntosh, she, she describes it as an invisible package of unearned assets. There you go. I mean, that's a nice, nice way of saying that's it. That's a nice way of saying it. And then people who don't know Peggy McIntosh, she's, she's kind of like the person who coined the term white privilege 25, 30 years ago. She wrote a big essay on it and, and we'll have resources on that. So as I think about like the white privilege piece there, it kind of brings me back to the blog that we recently posted on our site where we were speaking about the malignancy of redlining, yeah, right? Like yeah. the negative Connecting impacts, the you know, of it. And again, I get it. You didn't have anything to do with redlining. Right. Okay. Like, and again, I'm not going to go into what that means, but again, we're talking about unfair advantages and everything mm-hmm. else. But you may have, being in the majority or being white, you may have received privileges. Yes. Yes, those that, unearned assets. <laughs> exactly, that right. redlining. That's right. You know, you got equity in your house. You got a nice that. school. Well, well, first off, you're you're a property owner. That's right, you're property owner. <laughs> you know, that's true. You know, your school was able to uh, get those um, best teachers and have be prepared and score higher on on SATs and whatever standardized tests. But again, we're talking about the white privilege, and those are things uh, again, as Peggy was speaking to, is invisible package or unearned assets, right? So so the next one is, and again, this is another trigger. Another trigger. But we're talking about white supremacy, right? And this is not me calling someone a white supremacy. This is me defining Defining white supremacy, right? It's a belief that white people are superior to those of other races and thus should have the dominant position of power, wealth, and privilege. Mm Mm-hmm. So white supremacy shows up in the doctrine of racism like the KKK or neo-Nazism, yep, right? Yep, that's racism. <laughs> okay. Political uh, ideology like slavery, Jim Crow, apartheid, mm-hmm. that's the political ideology. Yeah. Okay. Or social systems like the criminal justice system. Workplace discrimination, like all of those things end up being like some of the social systems. And again, despite formal legal equality. Yeah. Yeah. So So it's written in law, but it still ain't (laughs) ain't working. Right. Right. Exactly. So again, this systemic oppression, this systemic approach to white supremacy, again, it's not things that you actually created per se. That's right. But you're still winning. (laughs) Right. This is still the system, man. This is still the system. Mm -hmm. So finally, it gets us to, you know, allyship. So allyship is the practice of emphasizing social justice, inclusion, and human rights by members of a dominant group to advance the interests of an oppressed or marginalized group. There you go. It's stepping up. Yeah. Being out front. Exactly. So Again, all three of these concepts, whether it be white privilege, white supremacy, or even allyship, are all connected. Yes, they are. All connected here. They definitely are. And I can think, um, just thinking through my life and dealing with race and racism, for me, it kind of started with school, just elementary school, going in the South. And we've talked about this before. I've shared this before. First through fourth grade, I was desegregating schools. And that wasn't that long ago. And what does that mean? We have some younger listeners now who probably, I mean, they may have 
heard about it if they went to the right schools and got it in the books it, in the correct way. Right. <laughs> you know, right. when you talk about like desegregating schools and you're talking about first through fourth grade, you didn't know that you were doing it. It wasn't no. like you were trying to be some social activist and you just trying all. to go to school. Just man. trying to go to school. <laughs> and I was loving it because basically what desegregation was, was you had majority white schools and majority black schools. And with Brown versus Board of Education, it said that that wasn't right. Mm-hmm. That schools needed to be integrated, right, with with the races needed to be integrated. And so literally, they would bus kids from the black neighborhood over to majority white schools. Mm-hmm. And it'd be one bus, right? They're not taking a whole bunch of us. So <laughs> literally, first through fourth grade, there's 20, 25 of us little black kids yeah. that were being bused. 20 miles across town to a majority white school, we get dropped off and put in the school. So what was it like being in school, though? Like, so you're in this school, like this is a bit of a, no one's actually paying attention to this being a bit of a culture shock for you. Right. Okay, but, and I get at, it. At it's six, a culture, seven, eight years old. It's a culture shock for them to totally get it. So you're in school, I mean, they calling yeah. your names. What but are they, what, what are the they doing? crazy part about it, it was actually outside the school that was worse than inside the school because outside the school you had all these parents. The first week of school, it was like a shit show. Uh-huh. Parents outside yelling, screaming, protesting, holding signs send them back don't let them in all of this kind of crazy stuff and as a kid we didn't know what was going on it's like why are these people yelling and so that was the crazy part about it and then you get in inside the school and then you got all those little microaggressions from the kids what are you what's your skin can i touch your hair yeah you know uh calling you calling you all kind of names all kinds of names that's right where do you live and you know just stuff like that that come up from kids most of it, innocent, they don't even know they're being microaggressive, but still, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. still putting you in your place. Yeah, you know, and I think we talked about this in some of our earlier episodes about what it was like for me even going to school. Because sometimes people think that that's just secluded to the South, right? right. But, hey, I grew up in Los Angeles and went to school in Orange County. Orange County. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Orange County, California, you yeah. know, because I know there's an orange sure. in, you know, other places, right? But... um. We're talking about a diverse state, but probably not so diverse in their practices yes. back then, back right? Then for sure. So I can tell you, it was pretty. That was difficult. Reagan country. It sure was. About, right? It was, and it was pretty difficult because you figure, I'm going to school with some very affluent folks, and yeah. I'm catching the bus. You know what I mean? They're, mm-hmm. they're driving cars. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm. Had it not been for sports, no telling. You know what could have happened. But I tell you, it wasn't easy because. When you start thinking about names that I was called or not being supported in class and whatnot. That's right. Nobody was stepping up to kind of help me. Not at all. Not <laughs> you at all. Know, nobody That's was not. like, no, hey, you come sit and eat lunch with us. You know what I mean? And and therein lies where you start to find home or comfort in the handful of black kids. That's right. That's you why know we that sit they're there. together at the lunchroom table. <laughs> Exactly. The handful of folks, because that's the one time that you can probably kind of let your hair down. And then and you realize that if those kids that I was eating lunch with at school were probably in my neighborhood, we probably wouldn't have been friends. Right. Do you that's know? Exactly right. But that became my small group of allyship where we mm-hmm. could defend and, and put your and, hair down a little bit and help each other out. Right. Defend each other. For sure. And a defining moment in my life, they happened to all of us. One actually just happened five years ago mm-hmm. when I took a trip to South Africa, spent three weeks in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And for me, it brought home what the battle is <laughs> you know, at the end of the day. When I learned about all the work that Nelson Mandela and the uh, ANC did in terms of breaking down the system of apartheid and when Nelson became president, the work that they went through And the white people who stood up also and finally started doing the work, that's what the allyship is. It's the work. It's not just saying we're going to do something. It's the doing it. And we have never done that in America. We've talked a long time about stuff being messed up or we need to do this or we need to do that. We haven't done the work. They started doing the work in South Africa, and that was just like mind blowing for me. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's a good point. I mean, I, but I also think through. I mean, there was a a very short stint in my uh, life where when I went to school and you know played football and ran track in West Virginia for a moment, right? And 
I was probably secluded in that educational bubble. Mm-hmm. But when I moved from California um, again and worked in Tennessee for a minute, and I literally have never, ever experienced anything like that in my life. Like I wasn't sure really prepared. <laughs> and it was like some very nice people, some people that I really call friends today. And that really taught me a lot about myself. But living in Tennessee, and and again, I'm not saying this is all Tennessee, but this is what I saw, mm-hmm. right, is confederate flags flying freely probably the first time you saw a confederate flag outside of tv or well, well but you know i mean what you see something from the dukes of hazard but right, i didn't really right. actually see it you know and then like when i we run track and go to south carolina and mm-hmm. go some places and you see it but you seclude it like you don't right. see it see it right mm-hmm. but i'm literally driving on i-65 mm-hmm. and i would look to the left and i would see like a Confederate flags flying like in people's yards. And mm-hmm. and I would always ask some of my uh, friends and coworkers, do y'all see that? Right. Like, like, and they're like, oh, see what? I'm like, the flag. The like, flag. Like, 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 that is not like, that is not normal, right? Not like, cool. And they were like, yeah, I mean, it's they, they have the right to do what they want on their property and this, that, and the other. And, and there's those types of situations where it kind of really opened up my eyes. Whereas where I had grown up, like that probably wouldn't have wouldn't have passed. Yeah. You, you, you know what I mean? Somebody like, stood up and said something. Ex- exactly. Somebody would have done it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But again, it just made me realize that this ain't Kansas anymore. That's you know right. what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> like that everything is not like how you think it. You no, know, it's true. Be. And I mean, just building on that story, just last year, because some people feel like, hey, this is way back in the past and it's not going on. I was in New York last year driving around mm-hmm. Confederate flag flying. So what am I supposed to think? Why? I mean, it's like, what do I do with that? Right. And this is not about whether or not the monuments should be there and this, that, and the other. What we're talking about is having some, I wouldn't even use the word compassion, but having some empathy in knowing what that symbolization means to individuals who it may offend. Yes. What that symbolization means to the oppressed. Right. You know, or that's something right. like that. It's a general reminder to keep you in your place. Yes, right? that's it's right. General, general it's just a general reminder. But I will say, Ricky, I mean, I think we've probably both experienced some good allyship too. Yeah, yeah. And I can think of examples at, at work where I've had allies at work. Yeah. And you know, I can have a colleague who actually worked for me. Josh, shout out to Josh. Hey, uh, Josh. Real quick. Hey, JB. <laughs> you know, it's been a great, just a wonderful ally. I know that I didn't have to be in the room and he would say something or if something was said, he would come and, and let me know what was going on. So I wasn't walking into a line of fire. Yeah. It was just advocating in a very organic, nat- organic, organic way. way. Organic way. Right. And mm-hmm. and so it's really just, you don't need a lot. It's just really just knowing that someone has your back. Yeah. And that there's someone that you can have those trusted conversations with, let your hair down and you're in the fight together. Yeah. No, that, that I mean, I have I have uh, two close friends that I would I would absolutely call close friends and Yvonne and Charlotte, who mm-hmm. I can always count on yep. to, like, keep me honest. Yep. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I know that if I'm not in the room, they're advocating and doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that is that is who they are. It's in their DNA. Yes. And they don't have to pretend to be compassionate. Exactly. You know, to pretend to show empathy. But I also look at it like this is, look, I work in HR. Okay? I work in HR. And I can tell you specifically, I have to run equity reports. I have to do things to see, are people being paid fairly? And is it distributed correctly? Looking at the talent pipeline. All of those types of things. So good allyship to me is when I have a leader of people that comes to me Mm -hmm. and they tell me what they've noticed and they come to me with the solution to rectify that on their team versus me having to bring it to them, and, them we the ha- data and we and have to react. React to it and make a plan. <laughs> right. And then you got to monitor the plan. Exactly. Make sure that they're doing stuff. I- exactly. So in my mind, like that that's a, a pretty good example of in the moment, like good allyship that I see Absolutely. You know, on a regular basis. But I think just stepping back for a minute and thinking about all of this conversation we've just been having, the impact for me, just thinking about the impact of all of this is that there's a huge burden on black people and other underrepresented groups who need allies. And as it stands today, the burden has really been on us to teach 
you know, white folks about what it means to be an ally. And then us having to also deal on top of that with the consequences of not having an ally. It's a heavy burden. Man. That's right, right. It's a heavy burden. No, I, I totally get it. You know, so which brings me to like the moral of the story is being an ally is all about the privileged taking unprompted proactive actions to do the right thing. Right? Yeah. And not waiting for me to, or anyone else to demand that they react. Yeah. Don't make <laughs> me have to stand up and march in the streets or whatever it is to get some action. Don't make me have to show my ass. Right. And then you say, oh, oh that's well, important to you. I get it. That's but you still went you. a little too far. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I wouldn't have had to do that in the first place that's had right. you had you done the right thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Had you done the right thing. Absolutely. And Ricky, I, I know we've had and been involved with several examples of kind of bad white allyship and, and, and it looks, you can see it. We can see it. And sometimes you just, you say to yourself, am I crazy? Right. Am I, <laughs> am I crazy? Right. And one thing that, that sticks out right off the bat is kind of this performative art, right? <laughs> People, they ask the question, what can I do to help? Then you tell them what they can really do to help, but they not, they're not really listening. All they're doing is trying to compare their experience to my experience. We don't have the same experiences, people. So all you're doing is kind of judging and trying to defend your position as opposed to really listening and understanding what I have to say. And one of the things that really pisses me off sometimes is like when these big issues come up, like over the summer with the George Floyd thing, all these corporations all of a sudden had all this money and all this time Oh, yeah. To do shit. Resources. Right? Ideas. But three, six, nine months ago, you were asking them for $1,000 to go to a, a conference or spend some time to do a little training, and it wasn't available. Now, all of a sudden, it's available. But even when they do that, after that, there's like no follow-up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's all performative. Well, yeah. Well, we keep having <laughs> meetings. We keep having listening sessions for me to hear what's going on for me to acknowledge that I hear what's going on, but I really wasn't listening because in those discussions, we talked about solutions. We talked about those things, right? But we want to kind of keep coming back to the beginning, right? (laughs) Go right back to the beginning every time. (laughs) Yeah. We want to keep on coming back. I think another part of this is in terms of like um, what bad allyship looks like. It's like not standing up as a bystander, right? Not standing up when you hear the racist jokes or comments or not holding your colleagues accountable, or even when you hear a leader, like once someone leaves the room and and then they say something that's totally inaccurate or whatever the case is, you're not standing up. I mean, I just had a story. I just had a story with a very dear friend of mine talking through they're having these listening sessions, okay, and um, top-notch organizations, so to speak, in terms of their footprint. An individual gets hired that they were familiar with in the past, okay? And uh, it's like, whoa, I can't believe we hired that person, right? Like, this is a person who basically, not me, but made this uh, individual, made her life like a living hell, right? You know, made her think she was crazy, would make microaggressive comments, would say all types of things, types of things. And after George Floyd happened... Yeah. A co-worker of hers, of this leader, they both work for the same leader, a co-worker reached out to her and said, hey, it now dawned on me that I did not advocate or become an ally for you the way that I should have. Yeah. You are not crazy, blah, 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 all of these things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, damn, you should have said something then. Don't come telling me now. I'm not going right. to absolve you right. of your guilt. Right. <laughs> Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But those are situations where... You know, not standing up. up. Yeah, you didn't stand up in the moment. Now you have this, you know, man, I really wish I would have. And just by the fact that you're acknowledging it, we can't go in the past and fix it. No, not at all. We don't have that power. We don't have that power. And another thing with bad allyship that really is irritating is like you talking about your one black friend or that one time you went to the, the soul music festival and now all of a sudden you down, you knowledgeable, you know what's going on. That's bull. Yeah, we're going to invite you to the barbecue. You went to a barbecue one. Right. <laughs> it's just crazy. Don't do that. Right. That is that is not that would not endear you to no, the community, right? Not at all. The other one is which is one of my pet peeves. Okay, this is one of my absolute pet peeves. 
not providing the proper credit on group projects, whether it be at school or at work, right? And sometimes you got the worker bee or this, that, and the other. And when it's time for the group to get together, there's someone who's doing the work sometimes, somebody who's kind of pulling people together. And then when it's time to report out, you tend to have the one person who wants to be the most vocal. Oh, yeah. Right? So mm-hmm. they'll get up and report out and talk about what we did yes. and how I led the group, yes. you know, and All this, that, and the mm-hmm. other, and won't give credit to the people who actually did the work, right? Absolutely. And it, all too often, the people who don't get the credit look like us yes. or brown people, yes. right? You know, Absolutely. that is what happens. And again, that's a, a clear example of when allyship should stand out, but you don't take the chance to do that. And then you say afterwards, when we have this discussion, like, hey, what happened? You didn't, you know, you didn't say we did it. Oh, I totally forgot. Well, it's too late now. It's too late now. Because the boss, the teacher, whoever, they think you're the one that did all of the work. That's right. And a variation of that is what we'll call white splaining. Mm-hmm. So yeah. even if you are talking and presenting, then they interrupt and then trying to add on or take credit or use, tell your story. You know what? I have a, and I, not to take us off, off track here. So my niece, bless her heart, she's what, 22-ish or something like that. Mm-hmm. And she's always been a bit militant. Do you yes. know what I mean? Yep. Like, where did she get that from? I don't know. <laughs> right? but, but I can recall her working on a group project in school, in, in high school. And she probably didn't want to speak up afterwards. I get it. Not a lot of black kids in school, you know, this, that, and the other. And because, now she did the work because I helped her with the damn presentation the night before. So I know you who know did. You know I know who did. The, I, I like. I, and I asked her, what did we get on our report? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but they get a good grade on the report and the teacher grades her down because I didn't see you, you participate. This is the stuff. This This is is the stuff. stuff. This is the stuff. But we're talking about the microcosm is this is when you don't get graded properly on your performance evaluations, when you don't get the increase, when you don't get put on the succession plan, people don't, they don't see you. That's right. So it took her making the team say, no, Cheyenne did this. Did this. No, this happened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, this happened. It took that to make the teacher kind of change the grade. Yeah. But again, this was a perfect example of allyship. Yes. That's when right. it could have gone a little bit different, but it puts a sour taste in your mouth at oh, the end of the day sure. because it's like, for why sure. do we have to go through all of this for you just to listen? Yep. No, you got it. You got it. But Keith, you look, man, again, we talk about stuff and I know sometimes it sounds like we're just coming up with stories like and just pulling them out of the air. But this conversation has been happening for a long time. As we start talking about, yep. yeah, it's especially if you speak about um, allyship. So, how about we just do this and just take a step back and maybe hit our listeners with some of those receipts that quantify or qualitatively back up what we're talking about? Absolutely, and I think today's receipts, Ricky. They're really not designed to make people feel good today, <laughs> right? It might not be one of the moments. Might huh? be not be one of those moments, but we're going to get into it a little bit. Well, first off, Keith, before you do it, they might want to get them a drink like I have in my hand. There you go. <laughs> they might, they, they they might, might need to some. do that. They might they need might to do that. Some. They might need to. No, I hear you. And so today we'll share some receipts on the inequities that still exist between black folk and white folk. And we'll also talk about how America really feels about racism and the progress that we've made today. And we're doing this in the context of showing that this is why it's so hard to get the work done without allyship and why we are tired of talking about this Right at the end of the day. So receipt number one, each year the National Urban League puts out a report called the State of Black America. The equality index in that report summarizes how well black people are doing compared to white folks in the areas of economics, health, education, social justice, and civic engagement. And it's represented by a pie, right? Who has pieces of the pie, slices of the pie. And so the 2020 equality index came out this year at 73.8%. That means that rather than having a whole pie of 100%, which would equate to full equality to white folks, black people had 78.3% of the pie. So this means we're missing 26% of the pie. 26%. So that means like 
a big ass piece is missing. Big hunk. Right. So if somebody gave you a pie, right? We just came off of the holidays and if somebody gave you a pie and some of that shit was missing. Yeah. You'd be mad. You would notice. You would definitely notice. It was you'd definitely notice. And I gave you two pies over the holidays, two sweet potato pies. And I'm, I'm appreciative. You know, now that first one. I had to share, so I knew by the time that I re- got ready to get my piece of sweet potato the pie, there's uh-huh. a whole bunch of that shit was missing. It was gone. Okay? <laughs> Therefore, I got the second one, and I was able to eat out of the pan on that one. Oh, right? they, like, okay. Yeah, I, I know that was a little... So you being a bad ally. Yeah, yeah, I know that was being hood, but I was like, hey, we shared on that other one, right? Uh-huh. So which, which is a good point. So receipt number two, right, is diving into the various components of the State of Black America report. Listen to how that overall score of 73.8% is constructed. Okay. On civic engagement, the index is 100%, meaning we're equally engaged. So black folks and white folks, when you think about voting or being involved in politics or the government. Everybody's engaged. Everybody, everybody, everybody's, everybody's trying to do it, right? But specifically on health, the index is 83.8%. And the gap has widened this year due to loss of jobs and insurance, all due to COVID. That's right. We were essential workers. <laughs> exactly. At the end of the day. Exactly. <laughs> so the education index was 77.3%, which talks uh, to the education redlining that we discussed in episode 16. Yeah. Right? That's right. This we, is a gap. That's a big hunk of pie that's missing right there. Right. And- now, unfortunately, it gets more depressing, oh, right? Boy. The economic um, index came in at 59.2%, and the social justice index came in at 57.5%. So these two areas point to everything that we've been talking about on Secrets since day one. Yep. Like, this is the this reason is it. why we come out with Secrets and we talk about this shit, talk right? Talk about the economics, talk about the injustice. There is a systemic economic and racial issue or issues that we need to confront. Yeah, for sure. This This is is, it. This is the genesis of secret. This is it. This is what we want to talk about. And so uh, receipt number three, we looked at a recent CBS news poll that came out this summer, and they've been doing this poll for over a decade that talks about America's views on race. And it pointed out some interesting results and show why why allyship is so critical if we're ever going to fix this problem. So, Ricky, while 80 percent of Americans say there is actually discrimination against black people, when they were asked, has there been real progress on discrimination, battling discrimination against black people, only 38% of black people agreed there's been real progress, while 61% of white people said there'd been progress on battling mm-hmm. discrimination. So that tells you right there, like you, like you said, the people who are discriminating <laughs> believe that we're making progress. Exactly. And the people who are being oppressed right. feel like not enough shit not, has been done. That's right. Not really. Not really. And interestingly, half of whites think that white people have a better chance of getting ahead. This is a little improvement from a few years ago, but still, only half the people think, white people think that they have a a better chance of getting ahead. And white college graduates believe that whites have a better chance of getting ahead than blacks, while only a slim majority of those without a college degree think blacks and whites have an equal chance to get ahead. So that gets back to that whole... You know, when we're talking about in that last episode, talking about the election and who's voting for what, who's why they're doing it and all of those things. So which which is which is interesting, because receipt number four in that same CBS poll, most Republicans continue to say whites and blacks have an equal chance to get ahead as they did five years ago, which, again, you know, which is, you know, beyond me. Right. But again, among whites, it's largely Democrats who now see whites as having an advantage in society, while most white Republicans continue to say both races have equal chances of getting ahead. Mm. So pausing real quick, when you think about the platforms by which the Republicans ran on Mm -hmm. and then the platforms by which the Democrats ran on, one acknowledged Acknowledged. that there was issues. There was issues in trying to fix it and come up with solutions. Right. Whether or not you believe them, we're talking about just acknowledging because that's what this poll talks about, right? And we're talking about the other party said that pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Everybody's the same. We're we're the same. We've done a lot of stuff. That phrase is a trigger. Yeah. (laughs) 
we, we, up by yeah, we, we've done a lot. So again, most Americans, when I say most, I'm saying 61% say race relations in the U.S. are bad, including majorities of blacks and whites. And by more than two to one, feel that relations are getting worse. Race relations are getting worse. Before they're getting better. Before they're getting better, which is crazy. And there's almost like a weirdness there where people feel like race relations are getting worse, but discrimination is getting better. <laughs> right. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I'll get it. Yeah, exactly. It's like craziness. And receipt number five, just to put a bow on this CBS poll, Americans continue to show some doubt about the quote-unquote American dream. And black Americans are particularly skeptical of this whole concept of American dream. Just one in four Americans today describe the American dream as being alive and well. And only another four in 10 think it's alive, but it's not what it used to be. While three in 10 say it's either dead or dying. So blacks are more pessimistic than whites. And nearly half of black Americans say that their American dream is dead or dying. I mean, whose American dream are we talking about? At the end of the day, we're really thinking about reality, right? We're thinking about reality, and and I would like to say, I'm a the glass is is half full. Yeah, that's your optimism. But, but man, I do have my tinfoil kufi on, okay? And I have <laughs> and I have to have my third eye on here as I'm always thinking. There's got to be look, when we take it back to the beginning, and we have people who I may not be familiar with in this, and how can I help? Yes, and I'm saying. What is it that you really want to help me do? Like, I'm, I'm kind of confused here. Like, yep. you've never spoken yep. to me before. And I don't know if if, if your guilt runneth over, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, now or what it is. But now you're asking me. So now I have to kind of temper. What do I really tell them? How hard? Right. How hard do I really go? Do I go? That's you know, right. That's how hard right. Do Are I they really, really go? going to get it? Right. So I, so I think, you know, now is a good time, Keith, for us to just kind of go into like those secrets from experience, Mm -hmm. you know, that we can kind of share with people. Because I think we've kind of did a pretty thorough job talking about how we've experienced good allyship and maybe the lack thereof. Mm -hmm. And then we've had some receipts that kind of back it up. So again, at the end of the day, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but like we've been talking this, this whole year, Follow the science. Follow the science. I'm saying follow the receipts. Follow the receipts, baby. (laughs) And so today we're actually going to do a double dose of secrets. We'll have five secrets that white colleagues can do to be an effective ally. And then we'll have four secrets that companies can take to create an anti-racist workplace. Okay, so this is some fire, right? So here are the five secrets we'll share with you today about how to be an effective ally. Right. And this is Ricky and Keith's five. Okay, so number one, acknowledge your privilege and power. Number two, listen for understanding. Number three, educate yourself in your white brethren. Number four, speak up. And then number five is get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, these are some good ones. And so just to dive uh, into those five secret, number one, again, acknowledge the privilege and the power that you have, white colleagues, and then use it to support black people. We talked about Peggy McIntosh before. She was the the inventor of the term white privilege, and she has an essay called White Privilege, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack. Start there and just read about what white privilege is all about. And then you can acknowledge the privilege and the power that you have. Which is a good point, because again, we're giving you some tools that will help you be proactive. Okay. So again, not waiting for someone to come to you with information. This is a way in which we said for you to be able to be positive on your own there, right? Secret number two, listen for understanding, not just for justification or in defense of your personal experiences. I've been I can't tell you how many meetings that I've been in or Keith that we've been in as we've been listening to executives, you know, mm-hmm. speak, especially this year alone, this year, right? Yeah. Just this year alone. But I can tell you that I know of a very high ranking executive in a very well renowned organization that has done a great job in terms of listening mm-hmm. to employees, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so again, pulling. All black people, all black women, whoever it is yep, in the room together. and listening 
Okay. And then, but instead of actually hearing what they're telling you and working through the solutions, what this individual has done time and time again is almost equate their story to another story that they know of. Of course. To try to. There we go. That's to, bad allyship. It, it, exactly. But, but to try to like show them that I hear you or I see you. But what happens is there's no results. There's no follow up. There's no, no results. We just talking about no what we talking about what we need to do and it's almost like we we need some help here and I listen to you and then when I come back to you again, let's talk about those things right. again. And it's the old game of politics. It's like that chief of staff role of the chief of staff all he's trying to do is help you get out of shit. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Help you buy more time or pretend like you're you're showing up when you're not. You're just trying to get out of that room as fast as you can. Yeah. That's what that sounds like. So, but we're saying again, don't do that. Don't like, do listen, that. listen for understanding and work through the solution. That's right. Secret number three on this is educate yourself and then your white colleagues. So read about racial injustice, systemic racism, white privilege, white supremacy, white fragility. There's a great website called the Dismantle Collective. That's a it's a great place to just kind of get started, kind of White allyship one-on-one. Start with the Dismantle Collective. And as you're doing the work, start to educate your white colleagues, your white friends, your family. Stop putting the burden on us to educate you. Yeah, on somebody else. You know, I didn't know. Well, we're giving you the, uh, the opportunity to figure it out. To figure it out. Then come ask me some questions about what you've read. Exactly. As opposed to what can you do for me. <laughs> That's a good point. Secret number four. Speak up when we are not in the room and be willing to put your body on the line. This is the ultimate form of sponsorship and allyship, right? Is you're putting your credibility, you're putting your bravery on the line. You have to call out racism when you see it and not be a bystander in the racial equality struggle, right? Like get in the streets, engage the power structures. I mean, again, and Get in the streets is a is a figurative term, yes. right? But again, getting in the streets could be like at the end of the meeting, you getting with your leader, your colleagues, and you're saying, "Hey, this hey, is what it looks like." Or right. This is this could be like you challenging. That was screwed up. Yeah, you, you can professionally and appropriately challenge the status quo in those meetings that you're in. For sure. And the last secret f- to be a better white ally is to get out of your comfort zone. You're going to have to put yourselves in situations where you're in the minority. Get into an all-black situation, a majority black settings. Start to have those uncomfortable conversations with your black and white friends and colleagues after you've educated yourself, as I said before. And more importantly, let black people lead. As Ricky was talking about before, in those meetings, in those situations, even if you worked on a group project together, let the black person lead for a change. Or even the person who did the damn work. Or people who did the work, right? (laughs) Exactly. Make yourself uncomfortable because by living in that uncomfort, that's what we're living in almost every damn day. And if you just do it a few times, you'll probably have at least some level of empathy for what it's like. Yeah. And and again, I totally understand when we talk about white privilege and we say that you've you enjoy the fruits of labor that you did not do on your own, right. <laughs> you know, sometimes or right. you enjoy leadership when you didn't earn it, you mm-hmm. know, so to speak. Well, I just remember back when I played many years ago, actually, and I think through one, uh, I, I remember reading through some things and I and I saw that uh, Martin Luther King had said at one point, like, what makes a good leader? And he had said, good leaders know when to lead and when to follow. Yep. There you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. And and I've always kind of tried to adopt that, but I think this is a very good situation we're talking about in terms of getting out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Is I know you might be comfortable being the leader or it may make you feel like you're not as smart because you giving somebody else the credit, but do the right thing. Do the right thing. Man. That's right. <laughs> you know, That's do the right. right thing. I mean, you it will pay you tenfold, Absolutely. you know, for, for, for trying to day. do the right thing. So, Keith, I think those secrets were great. But again, as you spoke to earlier, we're going to do a bit of a, a double dose for you today. Now, here are the four secrets that companies can take on to create an anti-racist workplace, right? And again, If you haven't done it yet, you may want to go ahead and and take a look at, well, read Amber Cabral's book, um, Allies and Advocates. In it, I mean, she she did point out some some key pieces in there and provided for you different approaches in 
which you can engage and disarm complex conversations and encounters um, across like challenging topics, right? Like, so individually, those are some things that you can do. But I think the first one that I would like to maybe speak to is develop a strategy, right? Like for companies, develop a strategy, treat anti-racism like a business strategy. Yeah. I mean, just like anything else you do. Like when you got a business issue to come up and it may cost the shareholders some money, it may not cause, it may cause you not to get your bonus. Like we got to attack this and develop a same strategy, right? Put resources and training behind it and keep a focus on it. Measure your performance and ties uh, and tie the outcomes to compensation. There you go. When you start tapping people's pocketbook, they have a way of coming in line, don't they, Ricky? Yeah, they sure do. Like what gets measured gets done. That's right. That's <laughs> you right. Know? No so, doubt. So I, so I think that's the first thing for companies. The second secret is provide space for crucial conversations and listening to concerns of black employees and other marginalized groups. But the caveat to that is don't keep having those conversations where you're just listening to the problems. Now let's start working through some solutions and let's hold ourselves accountable. accountable. You know, so I think that's the second secret. The third secret is develop processes with an anti-racist lens. Look at your supply chain, your philanthropic support, your meeting structures, your hiring, your talent management and benefits program, your succession plans, all these things, like all of that stuff matters. And those are ways that you can really be proactive in terms of like the allyship. It's yes. one thing to say that you want to do yep. it because that's what 2020 has really been about, right? Is us saying, right. this is important. This is horrible. We need to change. We need to do something. But now we on the next thing, right? We have, there right. was the flavor of the month. But now- this is our one opportunity to hold people accountable. And let's, right. let's go back to what we talked about back in March, right? back in April, you know, oh, whatever last it is. year, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> last year. And these processes that can make a difference. I mean, one of the things that irritates me with like supply chain, as an example, when companies make excuses, well, there aren't any minority businesses out there or black businesses, or they're too small for us to take the chance, mm-hmm. take the risk. That's just code. That's just BS for yeah. not wanting to step up. There's ways that you can bring those companies along and bring them into your ecosystem where you can lift them up and actually help them get the scale and the scope the big enough to handle your business. So stop making excuses and just make it happen. Yeah, Keith, that, that's a great point. The last secret that I would like to speak to in terms of what companies can do to create like an anti-racist workplace is just put more black people in leadership positions. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Just do it. Like my man said, a minister society. Like like Kane said, I think no, it was Oat Dog. He said it ain't that hard. It ain't. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It ain't that hard. It ain't that hard. Just do it. You know what I mean? Like Let's do it. It's like you think about when we were growing up, and your parents would tell you like. Just clean up your room on your own. Just mm-hmm. do these things, right? Do these like, things, please. Like, do them on your own. Don't get. Don't wait to get in trouble and have me That's yell right. at you. Yep. Okay. Don't get the whooping and then right. you know you now try you to fall do it. Yeah, yeah. Now you try to do it. Do it on your own. Be proactive. So here's the thing. There's studies that show that minority representation in le- management and above positions is poor. Yep. Okay, and and I talked about it a lot, and and I totally get it. Uh, And uh, outside of the U.S., we measure things differently. Mm -hmm. We don't measure ethnic diversity. Mm -hmm. We measure like gender, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But in the U.S., I'm telling you, (laughs) you know that we need to do a better job with managers and above, right? And it's not that hard. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. And. Ricky, thanks for for pointing those things out and secrets for for corporations and the other five secrets that we gave on on white allyship. And so if you want to learn more, we've put a ton of resources out today. They'll be on our website, secrets.com. And if you look in the show notes for each episode, we're always having resources listed. You can dive deeper on anything that we've talked about in this episode to get more information, to get that knowledge, to get you started on the journey to be a better ally. Yeah. I mean, and again, to those resources, I mean, we do our due diligence in terms of finding 
a relevant, you know, information on there. As always, we try to give people shouts out when they have good resources. We talked about Amber Capral today quite a bit because that sister's out there putting in some work and that book is good. So we ask you all just to go back and just take a look at that and some other things as well. So Keith, look, man, I, I was pretty emotional. Yeah, when we were yeah. when, 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 up. yeah, when we were doing our research for the topic, you yeah. know, as we started speaking about it, I'm probably a little bit more calm now. Yeah. I think it's uh, I can probably attest to what's in the cup that probably got me <laughs> a little relaxed and got my nerves right. But look, Keith, I really appreciate you. I appreciate our listeners for providing us with the outlet to be able to talk about these things. And again, look, we are getting a ton of responses. And I apologize in advance if we can't respond in the moment, Yeah, but we will respond to everyone who sends us some information. We also appreciate the more than 500 people who have joined us on LinkedIn, the people who have followed us on Twitter and Instagram and all of that type yep. of stuff. We absolutely appreciate it because this is a privilege for absolutely. us to be able to sit here and, and talk to you about these things and the trust that you all have bestowed in us to be able to educate you on, well, number one, you being able to allow us to be innocent yeah. in front of you. Yeah, right? being our authentic selves. That's right. <laughs> exactly. We appreciate that because this license hasn't always been no, you know, not given at all. to us. Not so, at all. So 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 we 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 absolutely appreciate that's right. That. And if you if you're looking for ways that you can you can specifically help us out, just go on to Apple Podcasts, like us on Apple Podcasts, write a review real quick. Hope you give us five stars. But if you don't, that's all right. We won't be mad at Four and a half. Four and a half. That's right. <laughs> go on LinkedIn. Follow us on LinkedIn. Check out our merch. We have coaching services for if people would like those. And become a patron on uh, Patreon. As we've been talking about in our last couple episodes, we're going to be launching some special features next year on, on Patreon, and we want you to be a part of that. So, Ricky... Yeah, man. Well, you know, I've been over here sipping quite a bit, but I mean, now I'm sipping with no ice, Uh-oh. right? You know what I mean? We so can't have that. I- exactly. So look, I am, I uh, again am appreciative that we have the format to be able to uh, talk talk about the things that we talk about. Season one has been like phenomenal, absolutely. You know, absolutely phenomenal, man. I mean, and whoever would have thought when we're sitting over here having a drink, talking, that's right, you know, that we would be <laughs> here, you know deep, here. you know, into this like this. But again, look, Keith, I appreciate you. I appreciate the appreciate listeners. You back. And we'll just say, hey, you guys, just keep tuning in, and we'll uh, keep giving you high five. That's right, everybody. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you all for listening today. Hopefully you gained a secret or two that can be applied as your journey continues. If you are motivated and excited after listening to Keith and Ricky, please subscribe to our podcast, share with friends and donate via Patreon. Check us out at www.secrets.com to get more information about our secret services. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers.